Good afternoon and welcome to Blueprint for Efficiency, a webinar speaker series hosted by the Center for Business and Environment at Yale and the MIT Energy Club. My name is Stuart DeCue and I will be your host for this afternoon's presentation. The title of this afternoon's presentation is Seeing Green Buildings Through the Trees, Smarter Data and Better Buildings with the USGBC. We would like to acknowledge the Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation for their funding support of the Carbon Finance Speaker Series at Yale. A word about our speaker series. Blueprint for Efficiency is the fourth annual installment of the Carbon Finance Speaker Series at Yale. This series of public webinars will feature the latest developments in energy efficiency, policy, investment, technology, and community engagement, with a special focus on the Department of Energy's Better Buildings program. In today's talk, Chris Pike, Vice President of Research for the United States Green Building Council and Lane Berg, Technical Policy Director for the USGBC's advocacy team, will talk about the Green Buildings Information Gateway. The Green Building Information Gateway is a visual GIS-based tool for understanding where green buildings are located and how they are performing. Currently, the Green Building Information Gateway tracks all the buildings and Energy Star buildings in the U.S. By aggregating and providing tools to analyze this data, the Green Building Information Gateway could have large implications for green building policy as well as the market for energy and water efficient technologies. A bit about our speakers. Our first speaker, Chris Pike, is the Vice President of Research for the U.S. Green Building Council. He directs a diverse research portfolio that includes next generation rating systems, the assessment of building performance and occupant experience, and the study of market trends and dynamics. The research program develops applied and advanced information technologies to inform and accelerate market transformation, such as the Green Building Information Gateway. He holds a PhD and an MA in Geography from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and a BS from the College of William & Mary. Lane Wesley Burke is the Technical Policy Director for the U.S. Green Building Council's advocacy team. Prior to joining the USGBC, Lane worked at the National Re Natural Resources Defense Council, where he was the lead advocate on federal policy relating to buildings and appliances. Lane is a mechanical engineer by training, receiving his master's degree from the University of Florida before completing his undergraduate work at North Carolina State University. Before turning to policy, Lane worked on the design and modeling of high-performance build commercial buildings, including lead buildings, in Charlotte, North Carolina. One final note. Throughout the presentation, we encourage our listeners to type their questions into the question box in the GoToMeeting control panel on your screen. We will relay your questions to our speakers at the conclusion of their presentation during the Q&A session. Please welcome Lane Berg and Dr. Chris Pike to Blueprint for Efficiency. Thanks, Stuart. Um, as, uh, as was said, my name is Lane Berg. I'm the Technical Policy Director here at USGBC, and I'm joined by uh, Dr. Chris Pike, our VP of Research. Uh, we're going to cover a couple topics today. Uh, quickly, uh, an update on the Better Buildings Initiative uh, and our perspective on it, which is you know, overwhelmingly positive, as you might, as you might guess. Uh, and then an introduction to uh, what we see as one of our most exciting new initiatives uh, and most useful new initiatives, the Green Building Information Gateway. Uh, and then we, we definitely want to have some time to talk, the, talk about the implica implications of, of a tool like GBIG and, and what it means for both consumers and policy and just the green building industry generally. Uh, so the Better Building Initiative was announced last week, and I'm sure most people, most people heard. It, it was uh, focused on commercial buildings uh, and making them more efficient as a, as a component of winning the future, as the President talked about in the State of the Union. There are a lot of big goals put out. Uh, and, and definitely achievable goals, but the, uh, the, the bones of the, of the plan involved calling on Congress to take action on the existing tax deduction for energy efficient commercial buildings, uh, which is uh, something that's been a USGBC priority for a long time, uh, as, has, as has it has been for many others in the field. 
uh, also calling on Congress to establish some loan guarantees uh, programs for commercial retrofits. Uh, there were some budget items in there. There was going to be a race to green grant program, and access to financing was also addressed, uh, which we'll all learn more about, I think, next Monday when the DOE budget is released, and there'll be hearings next week. Uh, and then there was a, an existing authorities component of this where the administration was saying, you know, we're going to start doing this stuff immediately using our existing authorities that we've already been tasked uh, by Congress with. Uh, and and that was, those were mostly uh, at the Department of Energy. Uh, that involved commercial workforce development and creating a better buildings challenge where, uh, you know, the president challenges NGO leaders and, and, and university heads uh, to lead by example. Um, the, uh, so the backstory on this from our perspective is that uh, a focus on commercial efficiency and a focus on existing authorities has been a priority uh, for a while. Uh, you can see on this slide that uh, USGBC uh, commissioned a report with several other uh, peer organizations, including uh, NRDC, the Real Estate Roundtable, uh, BOMA, uh, and, and others that outlaid all the existing authorities that the administration had. This is a legal analysis. Uh, on in, in the sector of commercial buildings and multifamily buildings to address energy efficiency specifically. And it was like the size of a phone book. There was so much opportunity that the more the team looked at existing authorities, the more opportunity they found. Uh, it covered every agency that you would expect, like DOE, EPA, HUD, uh, but it had some others in there, like FHFA, the National Park Service, uh, USDA, you name it, it's pretty much in there. So it's a bit of an overwhelming document, and there's a link to it here uh, if you want to skim through. In repackaging that, uh, four groups in particular who were uh, part of the original group, the, the USGBC, NRDC, the Real Estate Roundtable, and Johnson Controls sent a memo up to the White House uh, on the 21st addressing three priorities uh, that could be taken, uh, where action could be taken using existing authorities. That's also available online. And you'll see a lot of similarities to what was in the, the Better Buildings Initiative, uh, including improving the existing tax deduction to uh, make it more usable, and uh, loan guarantees for commercial retrofits. Uh, and then the, the President's call for uh, conversion of the existing tax deduction for commercial buildings, for energy efficient commercial buildings, uh, to, to turn that into a credit and make it work for retrofit was you know, music to all these groups' ears because we've been uh, going to the Hill talking about just that for, for quite a while, and uh, it, it's definitely a priority that we will continue making the rounds and talking to legislators on. Uh, and there's a link here to uh, an announcement from Senator Snow, Bingaman, and Feinstein welcoming the President's uh, call. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, Chris Pike uh, to talk about GBIG, which is uh, a slight topic change, but I think uh, as we uh, move into the discussion portion of this, there'll be a lot of ways that we can tie these things together as we talk about the big, big picture implications of uh, commercial building efficiency and the market generally. So, uh, so my name is Chris Pike, and I appreciate the chance to talk with you guys today. And, and, I, and, and I will honor that that we are gonna we are gonna switch gears a little bit, but we are also gonna build from the sort of brass knuckle political realities that that Lane was laying out to some ideas about how information technology can be used to accelerate the the, the objectives of all of that policy. And so I, we want to take this opportunity to introduce you to some new tools and some new concepts from our end, but as a way of introduction, the important thing is that we, we need to have a common understanding about what green building is in, in the context of what green building, uh, what, what the role of information technology is for advancing green building. 
And so my point of departure for this is a belief that green building started essentially with a curve and a very simple idea. And all of you who have an interest in market transformation understand the idea of an option curve of anything. And, and whether it's whether it's microchips or sausages or, 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 or you know, thin mint, we, we have an adoption curve. And we have an idea about how we understand the distribution of current practice and how what our role as a, as a, as a player, a component of the market, is to create a permanent, durable, self-sustaining shift in the frequency of those practices. And so our goal is to take this, this, this distribution of practice and shift it toward higher performance, green, high performance building. And the question, what's, what's really interesting as a point of departure is that although we've been waving around this curve in our green building movement for the last 18 years or so, we never had any data about what this curve was. And even up to, this, up to today, we are just beginning to have an empirical understanding about the prevalence of practice for this thing that we have invested so much time in moving. So, by the time we get to the end of this talk, I want to show you our best current take at creating the body of information that defines this curve and using that information in a direct way as part of our efforts to create this market shift that we are trying to do. And in doing that, it's, a, it's essential to understand that green buildings, high performance buildings are not, are the outcome, are one outcome of green buildings but they are, not the, they are not the entirety of green building. In fact, our efforts to move that curve reflect at least three major components. We understand that we create a cadre of professionals with a shared vocabulary and common skills. We have a set of tools to identify high performance strategies, define best practice, and we have a set of processes by which we document, verify, and reward the leaders. And so the culmination of combining professionals and tools and processes is a green building and is a component of shifting that curve. But a green building in and of itself is only one indicator. And so that's what we're doing. We're trying to combine those tools to define, recognize, and reward the practices that are more prevalent among market leaders than among the, the, the bottom end of the distribution. Okay, so the crux is that when we look at this, what makes this interesting today is that green building has achieved a sufficient scale that we can understand green building as a spatial and a temporal phenomenon. It is a geographic pattern that has a, a set of data that are relevant to the, the last 10 years of practice and a set of data that allow us to be forward-looking. And so looking at just the U.S., we can look at the distribution of, of lead projects as one proxy for the prevalence of green building practice, recognizing that it's only a proxy. There's a lot more activity than is just indicated by these dots. Additionally, we understand that LEED is being used in 125 different countries around the world, along with other rating systems and other ways of doing green building in, in, in many countries around the world. So this is both a, a national phenomenon and an international phenomenon. One that the point of this conversation is, how do we turn this, this groundswell of practice into data and what do we do with it. So just to give you a sense, as we drill down, we understand that by design, green buildings are spatially clustered. They're geographically clustered across a range of scales. What you're seeing, uh, the white dots for reference are registered projects, projects that are currently under pursuing green building. The colored dots are dots that have achieved third-party certification, that they have actually achieved the level of green building practice. We're going to learn a lot more about those dots in the next few minutes. But the idea is that you can get a sense of the clustering 
keeping in mind that a lot of that clustering, you know, we're getting to the point where that follows major patterns of population density, it follows transit, it follows central business districts, some of those primary determinants. We can talk more about that. And we can bring this all the way down to the scale of individual buildings. And so this is, this is the area around the Convention Center in downtown D.C. You can begin to see that we have information at that scale. All right, so that's the history of practice. This present moment is critically it is different than the last decade. Over the last several years, we have created a set of tools and a set of understandings, understandings that I think we share with many key players and other organizations and across the industry about the notion of setting priorities for green buildings that are that are associated with outcomes or the mitigation of environmental impact, and that we have extended the concept of green building across the entire life cycle of buildings, communities, even individual homes and interior spaces. So green building, just as a green building is not just the building, it's the people, the process, and the tools, it's also not a building. It's a neighborhood, it's a new construction, it's an existing building, an interior, and a home. And let's drive that home. And so one of, just a couple of, of data points the, 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 the signature piece of, uh, the signature occurrence in our industry over the last three years has been the rise of existing buildings as the important market segment. And I think many of us share that, that passion point that our goal is to transform the existing built environment just as much as the, the new construction environment. And as you can see, this graph shows, as, again, as a proxy for a lot of other activity, the, the volume of certification by quarter that we've experienced. And you can see this line trending upward such that now existing buildings are approaching 50% of the volume of certification that, that we do. And we can, you can see that we are, we, are, we are engaged with over 10 million, to 50, in some cases 50 million square feet of, of space on a quarterly basis. So there's quite a volume of buildings, and that's what's relevant. We, we need a volume of buildings because there's a lot of buildings out there to work on. And let's, let's dive a little deeper and say, Let's, again, get the richness of the story. What do we mean by green buildings? And we, we, we expose different rating systems to different market segments, commercial interiors, core and shell, that's the interior space of the building, the existing building, school, new construction, retail, those are things that are on this graph. And you get a sense of one of the things to take from this is there is no singular concept of, of, green, of green building. It's a diverse, it's a portfolio of things that span different segments out there in, in the market. And so and and if and, and and green building truly is not dominated at this moment by new construction. Just to note that homes is not included in this this step. That's, thank, thank you, and that's really important. So homes in our from a data space is, is a separate set of data with different confidentiality rules. So I'm not showing you homes data, but there's a, an equivalent story with homes. It got off to a later start in our in our universe, but over the last three to four years, now we encounter uh, I think three to four hundred homes a day passing through our system. So that's a whole other story we can talk about. But again, it does extend all the way into the residential space. To get an idea about where we are in this market transformation process, one barometer is the percentage of essentially the class A or B office space that is up above 5,000 feet that's been built in the last 15 years. And we can see the kind of penetration that green building in the U.S. is having. And just, just to kind of scan your eyes down that number, you know, our goal is to engage with the top 25% of the market, those market leaders, and to pull them to higher performance. And you can see that in some markets, we've, we've, we're in the team, and in many markets that are up and coming, we, we have, we have, we're in the single digits, but we're definitely on the map with regard to a, a significant percentage of new-built stock in these marketplaces. 
So we can dive into any of these numbers, but my primary interest is to give you a snapshot of the market today and to take and, 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 and motivate the idea that this is a market segment worth moving and, and that we have the potential to do that. So how are we moving it? Our current generation of tools engages across the idea of a site. It engages five different major issues. Site planning, water, energy, which we'll dive into in a much more detailed second, materials and indoor environmental quality. Recognizing that a key value of green building in the conversation is that green building is, is about energy efficiency and renewable energy and so forth. It is also about a suite of other supportive issues that reflect the, the, the human experience, walkability, indoor environmental quality, indoor air quality, acoustics, thermal comfort, water conservation. So a key difference is that green building is energy efficiency plus a lot of other issues. And the way that we understand those priorities is through a priority, prioritized set of impact categories. Basically, we say that we identify 13 different issues, and I haven't listed them all here, but you get an idea. We care about, we in our, in our current generation of rating systems, we care about 13 different issues, and we assign them each a, a proportional level of importance. That dark blue one, which you see on your screen with 25%, that, that's the impact category we call greenhouse gas emissions reduction. So 25% of points we allocate to a lead scorecard is, are on that scorecard in proportion to their ability to, uh, to, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. There's 12 other issues on there that are each assigned to relative importance. The bottom line is when you see a LEED scorecard today, the points on that scorecard are put there in proportion to their ability to address critical environmental issues. And we're going to extend that paradigm in the years ahead. But So you see a simple scorecard. Behind that simple scorecard is an analytical framework which links those strategies directly to their benefits for taking on key issues, including greenhouse gas emissions, water conservation, and human health. So just to reinforce, we apply that framework across the range of scales. So today we are actively working at the neighborhood scale, that's tens to hundreds, in some cases thousands of acres, and we're dealing with decisions about planning, programming, infrastructure, and so forth. We apply that into new construction. Then we apply it into existing buildings. Again, in each domain, we're changing the decisions. And we apply it into commercial experience, interiors, and even homes. So what do we know about that, that, those buildings that we're working with from an energy perspective right now? Here's a snapshot. This is a snapshot of, of, one, uh, of two different rating systems to give you an idea of what is being achieved. How are we moving that curve with regard to energy efficiency today? And I want to draw your eye to, two, to a distinction. On the left, we're looking at the snapshot in time during design. So we're talking about how the building is designed. And the reference case there is energy code. So ASHRAE's standard 90.1. In this case, I've, I've presented data where the buildings are compared to 2004. And the question is, how are we motivating projects to aspire to and achieve and document design that exceeds the requirements of energy code? And there's two things to notice. First off is that uh, there's a distribution of achievement because we design in flexibility, because we understand that circumstances are different. But the, the most frequent level of achievement is about 30% better than ASHRAE 90.1 2004, and many projects achieve greater than 50%. Similarly, when we enter the operations phase, we're not interested, we're not using a code-based standard anymore. We use a bench, we use the Energy Star Portfolio Manager benchmark because we want to understand an asset in, con in, in the context of all the other assets out there. So we switch to a different metric and we use the portfolio manager. And you can see that the average certified green building in, in our data set has an ENERGY STAR score of 86. 
So what we do, with a, with a minimum, uh, with a, where 75 is qualifying for Energy Star. So we recognize the range of performance, and the critical issue is we choose the appropriate metric for that period in the life cycle of the built environment. And so I can drill into these numbers with you, and I'm going to show you some more ways to slice and dice this in a second. Okay, let's just give a couple of cases that really emphasize this notion of crossing scale, because one of the critical issues that we see in the, in, the, in the green building industry is the ability to use information technology to drive across scales and to especially, the first example I will give you are situations where we have an institution. In this case, I'm going to give you an example of the Department of Health and Human Services. But think about any corporate institution, governmental institution, where that entity has set a, a goal and we want to drive that goal through a hierarchy of decisions. And so in this case, the president has said through executive orders and the, with, 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 with support from the Congress that we are going to achieve certain goals for energy efficiency, emissions reduction, and green building practice. He drives that goal through his Department of Health and Human Services and one of its operating units is National Institute of Health. In turn, NIH has to realize those requirements through the management of their facilities. First, at the national scale, they have three major facilities, Rocky Mountains and two on the East Coast. In turn, those responsibilities are brought down to the installation scale. In this case, a snapshot of the National Institute of Health campus in Bethesda, Maryland, where they're using a for existing building framework to bring that, to take those mandates and push them into their building. So again, look at this confluence of scales. We've gone from an organizational mandate to a national view down into an installation. We're then going to push that into the operation of a building and all the way into the interior spaces of that building. So the question is, how does information technology help us create this hierarchy of understanding so that we can roll up the performance from the interior to the building to the installation, roll down the mandate? One example of, of an, or another example of an organization doing this is the Park Service. The Park Service manages all 64,000 of its capital assets, including, I believe it's 12,000 buildings in this framework that I have on the screen now. So the Park Service is able to to set national scenarios and, and model them out so that they can look at the implications of them at the portfolio level that are the responsibility of regional administrators into individual operating units and down to the individual building scale. The take home I want you to come away from this with is saying we see leading organizations building, standing up information systems that allow them to track across scales the, their, their goals for energy efficiency, greenhouse gas emissions, a whole range of things across a range of scales. And what they need are tools at each stage to say, what could I do? What will it do if I do it? And then to roll the benefits back up. What we're trying to do is show how green building as a process of both people, tools, and processes can support this hierarchy of needs that we believe these, although we're, I'm illustrating it for agencies, I believe that it applies to any large entity whether it's a company, a local government, or a federal agency. All right, so this is the, so with that preface, that's where we are right now. And the goal over the next few minutes is to think about how green building practice plays into that and demonstrate some tools. I want to come back to that curve and say, how do we find that curve using real data? How do we use the information in that curve to move that curve faster? And I'm going to posit to you in this, in this context, that that is an exercise that is driven by evidence. Evidence comes from volume of practice. 
If there is no volume, there is no evidence. And so that, that all those dots on that map are critical, and we have to have a certain amount of volume to, to don't know what's going on. And that it's differentiated by place. So the solution for one, there is no national best answer to this. There is a, there is a paradigm for understanding it that is differentiated by place and powered on an ongoing basis by information. And so just to take you back to one of those snapshots I showed you, the idea is that we want to augment our reality. We want to go from this today, where we look out across these buildings, and there are critical pieces of information which I can't know. The market cannot efficiently address these pieces, the, the, the environmental performance, the economic performance, the energy performance of these buildings, because I have no transparency about those, 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 those aspects. What green building does is a process of collecting information on those attributes, making it transparent so that the market can efficiently value those resources. And that's the kind of, this is the future that we're going towards. What are we going to do with that information? And here, here's one vision for you. And I'll, I'll, I'll operationalize the vision in a second. The idea is that it's very common to have essentially a, a project under investigation, a proposed project, a new project, or an existing project. I'm asking how does it fit in. As I've indicated to you, one of our 13 currently operational metrics is the idea of how much, what is a project doing to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? And if I can evaluate that on a scale between zero, I'm not doing anything, and 100%, which is I'm doing all of the strategies weighted by their importance that are addressing greenhouse gas emissions that we recognize in rating systems. It's not the totality of strategies in the universe, for sure. It's the ones we recognize, but that's a very, but from a decision maker's perspective, bounding the conversation and saying, we recognize these 50 things of which 25 of them relate to greenhouse gas emissions, of which they differ in their relative importance, and I can turn that into an index. Okay, it starts with the ability to score a perspective or an existing project on an index. That's useful, but it's not enough. The next thing I need to do is I need to use information about the marketplace. I've got to find that curve and say, where does that proposed project fit in? If I know where the project fits in, I can now evaluate this. I know two things from this graph. I know how much of what you could have done did you do, and what did everyone else do? That gives me some notion of feasibility. There's some implicit issues of cost in here. And so if I'm a decision maker and I'm being offered this project, do I accept this project? The answer is no, not me, not a decision maker. I'm not going to take a below average project on a dimension for which my agency or organization has a mandate to improve. And so by exposing that this is a below average project, I give myself leverage to have a conversation demanding a revised project. And in a sense, this is simply the late Wobegon effect. I'm demanding that every project be above average, and I'm providing transparency about what that means, and I'm working across a dimension that relates to a policy and organizational objective. So I started with the proposed project, I went to a revised project, and then using my information technology, in near real time, I updated that distribution and effectively raised the bar. So I'm doing that in near real time, and as I pile on with my Lake Wobegon effect, more and more kids being above average, I move that distribution and I keep moving it. I'm not going to, the, the basis for this transformation is having a clear performance outcome, understanding the prevalence of practice, and having sufficient information systems to characterize a project and, and have a framework for demanding higher performance. That's what we're talking about in terms of operationalizing that curve we started with. And so I'm going um, to show you some screenshots 
from the, a, a tool that we call the Green Building Information Gateway. And I, I encourage you to go to the website and try it live yourself. You can, of course, you can go off there right now while I'm talking at you and, and, and play with it. I, 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 if we have time, I can, I can do some live demo, but I think you'll get the idea from the screenshot. So um, the idea, when you go to gbig.org, Green Building Information Gateway, you'll find a pilot resource with information available for the District of Columbia, Virginia, Maryland, Illinois, and soon the rest of the country. Actually, I'll show you how to get the rest of the country right away if you're anxious. But the idea is it, what we start with is a map-centric view. Because in some ways, um, as we know, real estate is, is, is a location-specific phenomenon. And these, we have the great fortune that the thing we are trying to transform is made of concrete and steel and wood and sticking out of the ground. And so we use the map as an organizing paradigm. And critically, the first thing we do is provide the kind of transparency that we've always wanted to provide. If any of you have heard um, our CEO, Rick Pedrisi, talk about this, he holds up a box of animal crackers and he shows the nutrition label on the side and says, you know, this is the kind of information we want to provide. Okay, for the buildings on this map, this is that information. And so when we, at, at an aggregated level, we have some information about the, the, the site design, the water efficiency, the energy aspects, the materials, the indoor environmental quality, and a synthetic measure, this GHG or carbon index. And so this kind of transparency, just keeping in mind that each of these individual little icons, sustainable sites, water, is based in turn between five and 15 different metrics that roll up. So in, in this case, the top one, the sustainable sites, this, this project successfully achieved 12 of 14 different performance dimensions. This one successfully achieved four of five water measures. So the opportunity and the key issue is that this is a new construction example I've given you here. You can dive into the metrics we use for operations, operations and maintenance or interiors or homes. Each one, the metrics are tailored to that phase in the life cycle. And in subsequent tools, we'll be exposing more and more of that detail. The carbon index down at the bottom reaches down to those individual credits. And in the case of the carbon index, it is a weighted combination of 25 different measures that reduce greenhouse gas emissions. This project scores 79 out of 100. All right, so I've given the beginnings. I've given that first slide in that sequence that I showed you before. That's nice, but it's not sufficient to actually move that curve. The next thing we need to do is provide some comparison and benchmarking information. How good is the Gaithersburg Old Town Youth Center? And so the first thing we want to do is look across categories. At the bottom, you can see total points. That's, that's one measure. The site, the water, the energy, the materials, the IEQ, the carbon index. Okay, how good is this site? Okay, across all those categories, on average, it's better. Again, that's nice. It's not sufficient. I haven't found my curve yet. All right, now here's starting to be my curve. So if I, if I take that and find a histogram, I use this GIS platform to basically do a histogram of what all the projects in the landscape are achieving. I can see between zero and the maximum number of points achievable, this is one of the highest performing projects. Keeping in mind to note that my data is limited to the universe of lead buildings or other green, certified green buildings or third-party verified green buildings that I have access to. The, big, the problem in our industry, as you know, is we have a big black hole for all the other stuff. That's why this process is so important. One thing that we can say is that all of these projects are doing things above and beyond standard practice, which would be represented as that yellow line. Another way to understand it, we can look across multiple criteria. Sustainable sites, it's a really good project. It's got a transit accessible, it's got a good site design, water, 
stormwater, so forth, but there are better ones. And so I can look out there and I can find that better project if I want to know more. Energy and atmosphere. It's a high-performing project on energy. Again, there are a few better, so I can go out and figure out, you know, but again, I'm above average, probably meet my Lake Wobegon test, but I can still find projects that have achieved more. I can do the same thing for materials or indoor environmental quality or my carbon index. So carbon index being a synthetic measure. Keeping in mind that we're very excited about the prospect of working with ourselves and others to develop increasing library of these indices that essentially are synthetic measures of the underlying criteria. We're weighting them with regard to some particular policy or corporate outcome that we're interested in. All right, this is good. This is getting close. I've got a distribution. I understand how to place a project in that distribution. And I understand that when I, if, I, if I certify this next project, I can move that distribution and raise the bar. I'm getting close to the world that I wanted. But I understand that in real estate, all things are local. And I want to establish comps with, I want to be able to reduce that subset, not for my whole data, but for say, how do I find the best green building on some criteria within a certain area? And so I've driven, I've, I've drawn a map right here which, which selects buildings within a certain radius around that building. And now I'm going to use that as the basis for comps. Actually, I've done it two different ways. The first way is straight geography. I can also do it within a 10-minute drive around that building. So I've got a bunch of a bunch of ways to find those comps. It's all about the comps. And I can say, is how does this building stack up? Overall, this is the highest achieving lead building in that 10-mile radius. So if I'm looking to locate an agency uh, or, or a corporate headquarters within that area, I can use this information to make that selection and change my portfolio. I can go in and I can, if I care about a specific issue, like what it's achieved with regard to energy, and that encompasses energy efficiency, renewables, commissioning, a whole set of things, I can say this is a good building, but it's not the best in that area. There's ones that have achieved more, and I might be able to go look at those buildings and find out what they're doing, and critically, who did it for them? Who, were, who was the engineer? What was the technology? That's where we're going. So I'll linger there for just a second. This is, this is the kind of information. We consider this to be a first-generation dashboard. It is the first generation where we've been able to expose, benchmark, compare. Over the next year, we'll be building out a number of different dashboards that meet the needs of different decision makers, public sector, individual project teams, portfolio owners, even people who are interested in a specific strategy, commissioning, energy efficiency, or so forth. So it's a framework, and we think that there's a lot to be, once we, as we have here, the ability to create a real link between that million square feet a day that comes through our certification process and this these kinds of tools for visualizing and informing decisions in an operational way, that's the kind of close coupling between data and decision support that we're looking to build on in this in this world. And, we, and this is a world where because we're basing it in this instance on GIS technology, we think we can be highly interoperable and share. We can share indices. How do, how do we add these credits up? I want to expose that to you, have you think about it, give it back to me. Maybe you'll make a new index I haven't thought of yet. Okay, we also think there's a fun side to this whole thing, and there's a dimension about thinking, how do, how do we take that out into the field? And so I want to show you some screenshots from the mobile version of GBay. And one of the reasons to show this to you is that although we're limited at this, at this particular in, instance to four different, um, to four different states uh, in, in the GBig web portal, that gbig.org, we actually have all of the data up on um, up on a, a, a platform in the App Store called 
GBIG analyst. You can actually click on any non-confidential lead project in the country and get some information. And so this is a screenshot from the iPad version of GBIG Project Analyst. So it's free download from the App Store. And you can get a sense of all of these projects can be linked directly. This, there's a subset of functionality here which I'll share with you. So you can drill down. I can click on a building that's right across the street from our headquarters, the uh, American Society of Hematology. Not, not a place I hang out, but a nice building all the same. And I can click on that and I can get a scorecard. And this is on my, on my iPad installation. I can get a carbon index. And I can see a simple comparison. The building's on the left, the national average on, on the right. But I may not actually care about the national average. So I may want to pull down and toggle through to go from, I want to compare that building to the Washington, D.C. average. And I can do that. And again, I find that this is a high-performing building. And so I encourage you guys, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, try this out and, and, and try to find that building near you. Keeping in mind that there, there are a significant number of buildings that are either in process or have some reason that they elected to remain confidential. So there are a, a, a significant fraction of buildings that don't appear on this map. So just there's a lot of buildings on the map, but not everything in the universe on the map. And, and as Lane mentioned earlier, there's no homes. At the moment, we homes are individually confidential, and so we're working on how to get that into the platform. So to, to wrap up, I want to I just close by pointing you to more information. I would encourage you guys to think about, I, I, I would really encourage you to check out the gvig.org platform. And when you're checking it out, don't focus on what it is that right now, but focus on how this information delivered in the right way. What is the app that's written on this platform that actually moves the needle with decision makers, that actually yields, that accelerates that market transformation curve? That's what we're trying to do. This is one of our ideas. But we think that we can, this is a thing we want to be open and collaborative about. We want people to take these data and drive that transformation. And we're trying to be, we're trying to, you know, enter the, enter the 90s at least with our framework for being interoperable, open, and, 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 and in, in this framework. You can find out more about the underlying work on our research page. You can download the apps I just showed you. There's also a GBIG, Anal a GBIG Explorer app, which has more case study content. And actually, that's one that um, if you search the App Store, you'll also find, I didn't mention it here, a GBIG Explorer, where if you're interested in individual credits, it's actually unfortunately limited to Chicago, but you can actually look at individual energy efficiency strategies, um, individual credit achievement, individual commissioning strategies for buildings in Chicago, and get a sense of how that might work. And you can also email us for more information. And so I, I appreciate your attention, and I'm really looking forward to your questions. And I hope this gives you a snapshot. Lane's got a few, a few closing thoughts before we go, go to the Q&A. A few kickoff uh, points before we, before we move into the Q&A that I want to you know, tie everything we've talked about together. I mean, what, what Chris has described is a, a feedback loop. And it's one of the many feedback loops that we need. But it can inform every part of the green building process. And this feedback loop, can, loop in particular is designed to take advantage of a, what we see as a consumer or customer-facing interface, an individual person exploring this green building world. It's not a substitute or a replacement for any other sort of feedback. What we want to see is scores in buildings, scores on websites, scores in this tool, and then consumers can find out that information however they see fit. This one's exciting because it, it, it harnesses a lot of the new technology that we're, we're seeing pushed out in the marketplace in other sectors, and we're bringing it to the green building sector. And I, and I want to tee up the policy implications because think of what this does for a policymaker as they decide whether or not uh, they need to push the needle on their building stock. How, how are their building codes functioning? How are their green building policies functioning? How are their incentives functioning? 
Are they seeing progress? Are they seeing movement in the number of buildings and the performance of those buildings? Uh, how does this work for cities and states that have decided they want to do disclosure and auditing requirements a la New York City and as of yesterday San Francisco? Those disclosure requirements could be buried on some public sector website. They could be in the building and they could be in a visual interface that compares them to the best of the best so that we have all of the information all in one place. So you're not just comparing lead buildings and green buildings, but you're comparing all buildings, that black hole that Chris talked about. And what about for the design community, the architects and engineers who are evaluating their success in new construction against their peers in the, in the area that they function in? They may look around and find that they're getting you know, stomped in the energy and atmosphere credit because they're not employing an advanced ventilation strategy. They're not familiar with it yet. It's, we get that, that granular information into this tool about what measures are used. We get a feedback loop to the designers so the design of buildings can improve. Uh, and, and then lastly, we, we have this sort of the, the building user interface. This is a way that you can find out the building you're in, what is it doing? Where is it going? Is it improving? It gives you the information to engage with someone who's probably you know, a little inaccessible to you at a starting point, you know, the building operator himself or herself is not necessarily easy to talk to in real terms. And you can now have the information about what the building was designed to do. And maybe eventually you can have, if you're in New York or San Francisco or somewhere else, how it's actually doing. You have the ability to compare for yourself. So we see this as a launching point for so many different, different possibilities and really just a feedback loop that's designed to be helpful in so many arenas. Um, so that ties together with what you know, the, the federal government is doing with the Better Buildings Initiative, with what the uh, Department of Energy is doing in setting the guidelines for how federal facilities are going, are going to disclose their energy consumption. This has impl implications for all of that. So uh, with that, I'll, I'll tee up uh, the conversation and take, uh, we'll, we'll take some questions. And then, right, I guess we'll turn it back over to Stu first. Uh, Chris and Lane, thank you so much. Uh, that was a great discussion in order to, to get uh, into some of the questions and we're going to dive right in. Um, so we have just encouraged the audience again uh, in the right-hand corner of your screen. There's a question box. Please type them in. We will relay them to Chris and Lane. Um, so one of the first ones coming in um, is from Alyssa. Uh, is a town or city, um, is, if a town or city wants to use the GIB tool um, to keep track of buildings that aren't LEED or third-party certified, can they input the building data? That's a great question. So we're, we're grappling with that. So, here's, so the way that we understand it, what we're promoting, and, and you'll hear more from this in the, in, the, in the next month or two, is we want to be able to exchange, we want to, I, I think it's pretty, it's where my head is, we want to be able to use a GIS framework to allow towns and cities to convey in their information. And some of those types of information, uh, and so we've already partnered with, with, if I had more time I could show you, Energy Star, Enterprise Green Communities, uh, colleges and universities that are doing programs. We've had a tension between the, the data quality versus accessibility question, and we're still working that out, to be candid. I think that our, my, my preference at the moment is to go with, is to really work with folks who have some sort of third-party mechanism to ensure that a, that a dot on a map or an area of work represents some real, real work. And if folks have instituted something like that, it could be as basic as an ESCO project where there's a third party really has responsibility for it happening or as sophisticated as enterprise green communities with a, with a real apparatus or, or a lead process. Um, that's what our initial focus is on. Um, we are working to create some tools for 
uh, people to submit their content on a, on a less formal basis, but, I, but it's kind of a second tier priority because we really want to focus on the landscape of, uh, of, of projects where we have confidence that something was done, uh, whether it's Energy Star or Energy, whether it's, whether it's something more specific like a green roof. So we're looking to establish those data connections. Um, that's one thought. It's a really important issue, one that we're really grappling with. And one thing that I want to make sure that it was clear to everyone, uh, we may have glossed over it a bit, but every Energy Star building that's been you know, certified by EPA is in the, the, the tool already. Yeah, that's actually that's a great point. Like, actually, if you, those of you who are, I don't want to risk um, switching over to it this second, but if you guys are on gb.org and there's a button up top that says layers, pull down and there's a, you'll, you'll see all the, the Energy Star buildings um, as little blue symbols on the map. So, so we have we have two issues that Chris teed up. There's the, the quality control issue, and we don't want you know someone putting in data that's not true, and then a data operability issue, which is a technical discussion that we have to have with whoever is interested in the tool, and that could be at the state or locality level or the agency level. Uh, we, we, those questions have to be ironed out. But if there's someone playing traffic cop and vouching for the quality of the data, we really want it in here. That's exactly how we intend to to fill out this this uh, application. Thanks. Uh, we have a number of questions coming in from uh, the audience on the impact of the real estate industry. Uh, one coming in from Adrian is, uh, how fast do you think new state and city, New York, San Francisco, et cetera, audit and transparency regulations are going to be adopted? How ready is the real estate industry for this? I can't speak to, the, to their readiness. I can speak to you know, the, the reality in our interaction with, with most large commercial real estate firms you know, that they are seeing the writing on the wall and that this is something that's going to be part of a business as usual in the future. You know, when New York and San Francisco, two huge markets, move to do this, it, it, it becomes, you know, very, <laughs> a lot easier for other areas, other jurisdictions to say, well, why shouldn't we be doing that? And especially, you know, when, it's, when you're just talking about disclosure, when you're really just talking about getting more information out into the marketplace to the benefit of the tenants and owners themselves, that, that there's not much downside, there's not much argument against it. Now, they do have to do work to get prepared for what is a, a, a new reality, um, but you know, maybe it's a self-selection bias, but the commercial real estate firms we're engaged with are improving their buildings. You know, they're using LEED, they're using especially LEED EB as the tool that they process their improvements through. You know, they're, they're moving significant quantities of buildings through the program and making them better every single time. Um, there certainly are firms that are not engaged with us, are not engaged in New York and San Francisco, and are are going to have some growing pains, and that's that's the reality of policy making and of market transformation. I think I would echo, I would build on what Lane said and said. I think this is an international phenomenon. If you look over the last six months, we, while we've been engaged on this, our colleagues in in the UK have are are if anything a step further out in front, and so the multinational firms that are dealing with these issues internationally understands this kind of transparency is kind of a new, it, it, the bar is, raising, is rising really fast. And whether it's being done by policy or in, in different countries or whether it's being done as a fiduciary issue or a risk management principle, this idea of transparency um, is really an issue of market efficiency. And the market needs the information to work efficiently. And so what we are trying, I think the arc of this conversation is that increasingly leadership from a green building perspective will have to do with transparency and it will be harder to maintain a leadership position in the absence of that. 
rather than sort of beating people with that, we just want to make that, we want to start putting in place the information systems to make that as easy as possible, as interoperable as possible, and that's what this is about in part. Uh, we have a number of questions coming in on how you reward um, and incent behavior, um, and one of them comes from Kathy Broad, USDA Sustainable Buildings Manager, Program Manager. Um, how can excellent performance in, for example, the carbon index comparison be recognized and rewarded through the system? Well, that, I mean, that's something that we're, we're, we're dealing with daily because, you know, leadership when, when no one sees the leadership is not as effective as the leadership when it's way out, in, you know, when it's out in the public sphere. And that's why, you know, at, at agencies that are doing this, it, it, it's inherently in our intention to play up the successes as loudly as we can because we need to get that information out. So what GBIG can do is help in one way get that, that uh, information out to consumers. It's certainly not the other way. And there's certainly a lot of other, you know, things that we need to explore doing as USGBC. The industry needs to explore doing, you know, cooperatively to reward excellence. And I don't, I don't think there's a good just canned answer. I mean, it, really when it comes to this, this type of activity, you know, the more the, the more the merrier. We need, we, need, we need good ideas on what to do. We need ideas that we can execute that will be enticing to the folks who are, you know, not receiving them the first time around, but realize that just with a little bit of an extra, extra effort, they can get to this level. And whether that's because they want to see the color of their dot change on GBIG or because they want to be involved in a groundbreaking with a, you know, a super high performance facility that's, that's measured on the carbon metric. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I, don't, I, don't, I think that the discussion will continue to evolve. I think one way to build on what Lane said, I, I agree that there's no canned answer. I think that's what Lane made real clear. I think that our first generation attempt at that, we, there's two, two quick answers to that from the research perspective. One is we are engaged with people who want indices, who want, who want to fold credits up in a way, use credits as data, and create indices that are more relevant to their agency mandate. And so that's the kind of interaction. And we think that as we get that greater specificity, Green building's great. Green building data is really great, and that we and that we use that we link the achievement of certain things to agency mandate and make that linkage clear. That's something we're really interested in engaging on. We also have gotten a lot of feedback from policymakers and decision makers that they want to see comparative type dashboards. I want to compare my agency to your agency, my location to yours. And so, we actually, if you look at recovery.gov right now. It basically has a community comparison function. And if you want a taste of what's in our head for a community comparison, check out recovery.gov, click their compare button, and think about what that could do to, to kind of engender some healthy competition between places and organizations with regard to green building. And just to tie it back to the, the president's announcement, as, as leadership for NGOs, for university heads, for anyone who has access to a large amount of, of facility space, you know, this is a great metric by which you judge your, your competition. How are you showing leadership? Uh, that, that's as important a decision as to make as to how far to go is how you're actually going to evaluate people. Um, but, you know, there's just so many implications for a tool like this, and that's why we're really excited about it. Yep. Um, uh, a question building on that from Chris Galvin. Um, was there any possibility for a third party to build up an app that would set up types of competitions uh, that you're talking about between similar sets of buildings, schools, um, commercial space uh, that would motivate and encourage this type of behavior? That is exactly why, at the moment, I, I don't mean to oversell it, but that's exactly why we're in this GIS space. We, over the next couple of months, will be serving this up as G 
GIS web services that can be consumed by others. So if, there's, if, if you're capable of creating an app or a, or, or a tool, um, either in a GIS context or one that can consume GIS as the input, we'll be putting this out there with the idea that you can design that app. And so it's part of, that's why this is both a part of a larger effort we call lead automation, which streamlines getting information in and then gets it out through an application programming interface. But this is one way that you could build that. So, so you really can envision, if you can envision what you think would make a difference, think about how you might consume that data. Um, and you could also, we'll, that, that initial set of services will probably include projects, um, lead accredited professionals, what we know about the landscape of policies, um, a few other things. That's, so if you think about what, if you could consume those and do just what you said, um, we're going to be standing up the ability for you to consume it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm continuously amazed by the amount of innovative ideas that come immediately after learning about GBIG that I had never thought of, and, and that, that's one of them in particular. And it, it's just, I, I want to make sure the point is, is drawn out that the power of this to give someone who is generally not influential on the process of green building, whether it's on the new construction side, the existing building side, the operations and maintenance side, the, the power of them to get involved through something like this is there and as open as we possibly can be to make this usable, buildable, you know, the, the jumping off platform for these types of innovative ideas will have done a great service. Let me just, one last thing to echo that. My experience, I, I, I did come work with project teams as Lane did, and I know that when you're around that table with project teams, Especially, I mean, my interest is in getting a better, high-performance, greener building out of it. And I'm looking for the argument. I'm looking for what can I say to get that project to do more, to, to raise the bar, to have a better outcome, to be higher performance. This, partly this experience is rooted in my feeling that if I could show that project where they stood against their peers on any particular issue, being below average is a really bad thing for a project team. They just don't want to be there. And that's, in addition, and I can wave a lead scorecard, that's powerful. I can talk about a credit that's useful. I can talk about a plaque, that's great. But showing a project that they'd end up below average is the kind of thing that actually changes the dialogue around that project team table. And that's what we're talking about. So if you see other things from your, I mean, people who are on this, on this call, you know, who see those kind of things, that's what, you know, Lane and I have, have these images of that project team room and what moves the discussion. Maybe you guys do too. Fear of, fear of embarrassment is a, is a powerful motivator. Um, do we have time for just one more question? In terms of other motivators, there's a lot of interest from our audience in linking the tool to uh, cost and energy water consumption. Um, you know, are there plans to do that? And when do you see this as being a primary uh, driver for the adoption of energy efficiency opportunities? Perfect. Um, good closing question. Um, I, I didn't mention the fourth um, data service. So we will very soon have that out of the gate, we will have some information on projects that are participating in our building performance partnership. You'll be able to find the ones that actually are sharing data, and you'll be able to see the count of data uh, of projects that are, that are actually participating. So if you envision below that little carbon index thing, another little pull-down that says performance information, for participants in BPP, this building performance partnership, that's going to be something linked into here, both as a service and as a component. So we're, we're definitely into that. The other nice thing about this GIS environment is you guys can envision you know, who else is out there with, geogra with geographically and temporal specific information on cost and value, whether it's census information that tells us about markets or whether it's information from a major vendor like CoStar or LoopNet. 
once we're all communicating in this space, the ability to mash up those things together is a technical matter. So um, we, we are fully invested in the idea of making that connection. And we know that academics, like folks at UC Berkeley and, and Harvard and so forth, have already been making those connections in a, in a research mode. The question is, how do we make them day to day? And so again, we're all, talk, we're all playing in the same sandbox now. So it's only a matter of making the connections and, and operationalizing. And just a, another word on what, on what DPP is, is, is as, as GBIG is overlaid across all the tools we have at our disposal, because it's really it's, it's a platform for you know, communication, tracking, all that sort of thing, uh, what we have with the rating systems and DPP is that they are being tailored and have been tailored and will continue to be tailored to reflect the reality that green building is a process. So if you start your green building process designing a lead building for new construction, uh, it has to be operated appropriately or it's not going to be really a great building. So BPP is our way of interfacing directly with, with building owners and operators to get them the information, another feedback loop of how they're doing compared to how they're supposed to be doing so they can take action on that. That's explicitly linked to as they move from new construction to the EB realm where we'd like to see that, that, that linkage happen explicitly either through BPP or on its own. And maybe you come to lead building through lead for existing buildings operations and maintenance and BPP is then a program, a partnership program that you participate in to help improve your performance on, on various scales, whether that's Energy Star or LEED. You might look to upgrade and recertify either because your, your LEED certification is out of date or you think you can do better because you've done some retrofit improvements. All these things need to be explicitly linked, and GBIG is a way to communicate all of those successes. Uh, that concludes the talk by Lane Burke uh, and Dr. Chris Pike um, for um, the USGBC. Uh, we would like to thank uh, Dr. Chris Pike and Lane Burke for joining us this afternoon. Uh, Lane and Chris, uh, do you have any final thoughts for our audience today? I appreciate your time. I hope that you'll check out and play with these things and, 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 and feel free to get in touch if you have that great idea. We, we like to enable that. Fantastic. Uh, this talk will be made available through Yale iTunes University and also uh, through our YouTube channel. Um, you can search for Blueprint for Efficiency.